Um, a few weeks ago, we started talking about the year end, um, and uh, I've been praying about our church, and, and we've had this vision to kind of re, um, rebuild this park out here and kind of make this space a beautiful space and, and kind of bless our community with this space. Um, but we've, we've been in a season where we're, we're just a new church plant, right? And so we're just starting, and, and finances have been great. Like, like we're, we, 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 our giving is amazing here. Uh, we have such generous people, um, but our reserves have been really low. And so as our numbers have grown, um, our, our, our generosity needs to grow with that so that we can be safe and secure. And so a few weeks ago, I was, I hate to talk about this stuff. And so I was sitting here, and my, my posture on giving has always been, I'm just going to be honest with the church about where we are, and I'm just going to ask when the Lord prompts me to ask. And so I was sitting on the front row a few weeks ago, and the Lord was like, you need to ask for $40,000. And that was the clear like, word I was hearing from the Lord. And, and, and he said, somebody will give $20,000, and the rest can be matched by the rest of the congregation. That was just really clearly, like really clearly from the Lord. And so he said, ask for it. Um, ask, ask for all of it. And so, I don't know, I awkwardly got up here and I kind of made some jokes and I was like, I think somebody out there could maybe write a check for all of this or half of this or something like that and just kind of laughed and smiled and you guys awkwardly sat there. Uh, uh, this week, somebody from our congregation wrote a $20,000 check uh, and said, if we can match, yeah. If... Uh, if the rest of the church can match that 20,000 between now and the middle of January. Uh, and so uh, I wanna throw out the challenge of generosity for you. Um, we need to come up with $20,000 to match that 20 and we'll get to our 40, which means immediately at the beginning of the year we can start planning to build this and get this going and do some new things. So praise God. All we do is win, win, win no matter what, guys. It's a, it's. Hands up, right? Um, I'm telling you, it's such, a, such an amazing week, and, and uh, God is such an abundant God and a good God. So let's pray uh, before we jump in the Word, because I think he's got an abundance of good stuff for us today in Isaiah. So Father, uh, we just thank you for all the fun. Um, we thank you for the joy of partnering with you and journeying with you. We thank you that you are with us and that you're working for us and that you are the owner of a thousand of the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing that you don't that you lack. And I thank you, Lord, that you are giving generously and abundantly to us. And so I pray for our time this morning. I pray that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified, that you would speak much louder than I would. In your name, we pray. Amen. Um, so. We've been in this Christmas series, started last week, uh, and, and we're, we're just calling it Arrived, and we're looking at the Christmas story through Isaiah, which feels a little weird, right? Um, but uh, we, we wanted to look at the Christmas story through Isaiah because there's something significant for us to understand in what were God's people expecting and hoping for when Jesus showed up? What was it that the people of God were awaiting what was the significance of him arriving in their culture, and how is that significant for his arrival into our culture? And so Isaiah is written around 600 to 700 years before Jesus came, and it's full of all of these prophecies of what's going to happen. 
So there's all these words that actually come completely true in the life of Jesus that are given about who Jesus is going to be, what he's going to do, how he's going to live, how he's going to die, how he's going to be raised up again. So 600 years before Jesus came, the Lord was preparing the world for a new world. The Lord was preparing them for something fresh and new that was going to break through. The old covenant was going to die and the new covenant was going to come. And so he was preparing the world by giving words to his people to declare. And so Isaiah the prophet is declaring these things. In in this time, they're, they're in captivity. So the people of God had been ripped from their homes and taken to Babylon. And in Babylon, they, were, they couldn't figure out which way was up and which way was down, right? It was like everything had been disrupted. It was like, I don't know where we stand. I don't know what our culture is. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I don't know how we're supposed to live. I don't know what we're supposed to do in Babylon. The people of God knew who they were in Israel. They didn't know who they were in Babylon. And so there's this disruption that's happening among the people. There's this seeking and searching, uh, and there's a crying out to God. One of the phrases that they would use is, how long, O Lord? Like, how long, O Lord, are we going to wait for you? We know that you've promised that you're going to show up. We know that you've promised that here comes heaven. We know that you've promised that something new and fresh and beautiful and amazing is coming, but how long do we have to wait for it? Because it felt like darkness was winning. It's easy for us to feel like that in our culture sometimes. If you just spend a few minutes watching the news, there's not a bunch of like cheery stories on the news these days. I, I, I can't handle watching more than 30 minutes of the news in one sitting because it's just too much bad news for me, I'll be honest. There's just too much chaos and craziness, and there's a crying out. And in the same way that God's people cried out when they were in Egypt and said, we're in pain, we're in suffering, and it said the Lord heard them, and so he sent Moses. The Lord heard the cries of the people in the Babylonian captivity, and he sent Christ. And in the same way, he sent for us the Holy Spirit. In the same way, when we cry out with the pains of a broken world, a world full of sin, a world that's broken and wounded, we cry out for God and he sends his spirit to come with us and to dwell among us and to be with us. So last week we read um, Isaiah 61 verses one through two. And this this is the same statement that Jesus made when he declared his statement of, this is my mission statement. So Isaiah said this 600 years before he came, Jesus, in the first sermon he ever preached, stood up before the whole church, preached an amazing sermon, and and declared these words. He said this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And listen to this, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's the one thing that Jesus didn't say. So Jesus quotes this passage verse by verse by verse, but he leaves out and the day of vengeance of our God. Then he says to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Vengeance is the old covenant. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not me. I'm not a God of vengeance. I'm not a God of anger. I'm not a God of retribution. I'm not here to get you. I'm here to set you free. I'm not the God of bad news who's out to get you with my vengeance. I'm the God of good news who's here to save you with my grace. 
Come on, guys, that's, that's good, that's good, right? That's, that's good stuff there, right? So Jesus stands up, and, and if Jesus declared it, then that's our mission statement also, right? 1 John 2, 6 is, is like one of the verses that I hang over my whole life, and it says we wanna live as Jesus lived and walk as he walked. And so if the way that Jesus lived and walked is that he wanted to proclaim, heal, free, and restore, that means that's the same posture that we take with the world, It means it's the same way that we live. If Jesus lived to set the captives free, then I live to set the captives free. If Jesus lived to proclaim the good news, then I live to proclaim the good news. If he came to set the prisoners free, then I live to set the prisoners free. And Jeff did such an amazing job last week of setting this up to say this isn't just um, like an individual kind of thing. This isn't just like like an inside our hearts he wants to set us free. It's actually systemic injustice kind of thing. Christ didn't just come so that we would be forgiven of our sins. He came so that we would be his representatives here on earth. He came so that we would have a model of how we're to live. Jesus showed us what life looks like in the kingdom here on earth. And when he said, proclaim, heal, free, restore, he's saying, this is the way that we live. He's setting us free from the structures of sin and death, but he's also setting us free from the structures of injustice in our culture and in our world. And so we become a part of all of that. We step into the mess with the glory of God, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we say, let's proclaim, let's heal, let's free, and let's restore. In fact, my favorite Christmas verse, every single year, everybody kind of posts their little social media thing. Every single year, I look on my time feed on Facebook, right? I'm old, sorry guys, I use Facebook still. Uh, but on Facebook, I look at it, and, and all, every Christmas, I post the same verse, and it's Isaiah chapter nine, verses two through seven. Here's what it says. The people walking in a great darkness have seen a great light. That's us, guys. On Christmas morning, the people walking in a darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined, for you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice for when when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. This is violent language, right? This is, I have come to set you free. I have come to change the structures of the world. I have come to fight for you. I've come to win your battles. I've come to take the victory for you and it's all available to you and it's all incredibly good news. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Government here does not just mean like government like our president and our our politicians and those types of things. Government is the rule and reign of Christ. Government is executing authority. So when he says government, he's talking about his rule and reign, his authority. So his government will rule with peace and there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And imagine hearing this as you're a captive in Babylon. 
Imagine hearing this when it looks like you're not winning, you're a slave, like you don't know how to live, you've been pulled from your home, everything's been torn apart, everything's been broken, everything's falling apart, and it looks like the darkness is winning. They read this and they're like, yes, come on. How long, oh Lord? And we read it and we're like, yeah, Christmas is coming. We gotta get those gifts for grandma, right? This is incredibly good news. This is revolutionary language. This is saying everything in the world changes when Jesus shows up. Everything is transformed. Salvation has come. Darkness is defeated. A new day is dawn. Hope is back. Everything is changed. Our enemies are broken. New beginnings are possible because Emmanuel, God with us, has entered the room. Romans says this, Romans says creation waits, like the world actually waits, like the the ground beneath the earth actually waits, the roots of the trees actually wait with eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Creation is longing for God's people to act like Jesus. Creation is longing for us to proclaim, heal, free, restore, with the groans of childbirth, it says. Creation waits with eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. When the people of God fail to bear fruit, guys, the world goes hungry. Because we are the plan. And so we step into the places that Jesus stepped into. We live the life that he lived, and we show up because Christ arrived. I want us to understand that. That's why we called this series Arrived. Because Jesus arrived, his people show up, which means I show up every day for my children. It means I show up every day for my wife. It means I show up every day for my neighbors. It means I show up every day for my friends. It means I show up every day for my enemies. Because every day I am a representative of the Most High God. I am his ambassador. I am sent by him to this place to declare his good news, to proclaim, to heal, to free, and to restore. The first church staff I ever, I ever worked for, that was their mission statement. Proclaim, heal, free, restore. And we would do this really goofy thing where we would like put our hands in the middle and we would go proclaim, heal, free, restore. Uh, and it was absolutely nonsensical, but it made me remember it. But the posture of all of that was because Jesus came, everything's transformed. Everything has changed. So I wanna wanna dive into Isaiah 61, verse three. We're just gonna spend time on one verse today. I I work slowly. Um, One verse today, 61, verse three. And in Isaiah 61, verse three, there are these three insteads. There's these three statements and then there's these three insteads in the middle of it. Um, it's like there's an alternative. It's like this is the way that you've been living, but there's an alternative way available to you. This is the way that you have been walking, but there is another option available to you. I I don't know if you guys grew up as kids and had these books, um, Choose Your Own Adventure books. Anybody, Anybody have these? I loved these when I was a kid. I don't, I don't know if this is like a generational thing, if it was just like when I was a kid or if they've been around for a while or if young kids, young people, do you, you remember these? Yeah, some of you do, some of you don't. Okay, just depends, I guess. Choose your own adventure books and the way that you read the book is you read the book and 
Um, and then at the end of certain pages, there's options. And you choose your option. And you get to choose where you go with the story. And so you get to decide, like, am I going to go here or am I going to go here? And then it says, if you choose this, turn to page 63. If you choose this, turn to page 74. And you turn to that page and the story keeps going dependent on your choices. I love this. And when I was a kid, I would read them so many times that I would figure out what the best result was, right? And I would always choose those each time. And so I would cheat um, because sometimes it's, it's better to think about living life backwards than it is forwards. Are you with me? Like, it's easy to live in regret, It's easy to live in a space of like, man, I wish I would have. I wish when I was 20, I would have done this. I wish when I was 30, I would have made this choice. I wish when I was 40, I hadn't gained so much weight, right? I wish when I was, like, there's all these things that we can live and look back on. Sometimes we even have conversations with people. Do you guys do this? You have a conversation with somebody, and then like three hours later, you realize what you should have said to them. This would have been a good burn, right? (laughs) This would have been the perfect thing to say. This would have been the word from the Lord to give them. This would have been actually kinder than what I actually said, right? This is the way. And so we live life looking backwards. And and, and what I love about these old choose-your-own-adventure books is it's living your life looking forwards, and it's saying our choices matter. We actually get to choose the life that we live. Sometimes we live life as like as if it's if it's if it's somebody else controlling it and, and we have no control over it and we're completely unavailable to our own lives. And the truth is, every day we get to choose our posture. I get to choose where I turn when I'm struggling. I get to choose what thoughts go through my mind. I get to take control of what I see and what I don't see. I can choose my responses to other people. And so my, my kids oftentimes are saying to me, so-and-so made me do this. They're always saying, nobody makes you do anything. You choose how you respond to everything. Life is full of choices. So this book is uh, Your Very Own Robot. I ordered it this week from Amazon. I'm going to give it to my nephew for Christmas. Um, I hope he's not listening. Uh, he'll get other things too. This is not it. Um, but here's, it's a story of a little boy whose parents are scientists. He uh, rebuilds one of his parents' robots because he'd watched them build it. And all of a sudden, he has a robot friend. And one of the choices that he gets to is, uh, do you choose to take your robot to school or play with a laser button. <laughs> that's, that's seriously one of the choices. Two choices, take the robot to school or press the laser button. I wanna see how many of you would choose take the robot to school? It's a safe choice. How many of you are gonna play with the laser button? Yeah, well done, well done, well done. There's actually these choices inside of here. Uh, and, and, and there is a way that we can live that says, Life is out of my control. Or there's a way to live that says, today, I'm gonna choose to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve him. That's what we're gonna do. So Isaiah 61 verse three says this. I'll bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display his splendor. When we live this way, look at the promise. We will become oaks of righteousness. We will be rooted 
in him, we will be able to stand strong. We will be powerful. We will be oaks of righteousness. And then what we do is we display his splendor. When people see us, they see Jesus. They see a picture of him. We become his letter written to the world. We become his monument that tells his story. We become the picture of life in the kingdom when we live this way. So the first of these insteads is I wanna give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes in the Old Testament are a sign of death. It's a sign of death. And so what would happen is whenever death would come, um, people would cover themselves in ashes. We do this in Ash Wednesdays in, in, a, in a lot of um, evangelical culture, right? Ash Wednesday is a sign of dust to dust, right? So we came from dust, we're going back to dust. It's a picture of how small and fragile and short life is. It's a picture of death in the midst of life. It's a reminder that there is death that's out there. Um, in, in, in this culture, when someone would die, you would wrap yourself in sackcloth and ashes, um, which sounds weird to us, but it's like wrapping yourself in like a burlap sack, right? You don't wear any kind of clothes that you would normally wear, like wear. Like you put your flannel shirt away, guys, and you just wrap yourself up in a really uncomfortable bag and you cover your body in ashes, Cover yourself in ashes. It's a sign of death. It's a sign of repentance. Oftentimes in scripture, when somebody would fail, they would cover themselves in ashes because they knew that they had fallen short of what God had planned for them. When there was a major moment where they really blew it, they were so repentant that they wanted everybody to see that I'm repenting, that I'm changing, that I'm covering myself in ashes, that I'm dying to this old way so that I can experience a new way. That's what repentance is. It's agreeing with God about reality. It's saying, I'm dying to this way and I'm receiving a new way. And so every single day you would wake up and you would put on your mourning clothes. You would put on your ashes. You would put on your sackcloth. And, and I can't imagine how many people in Babylon had lost loved ones in battles. Right? Think about the loss that these people were experiencing. I can't imagine the hurt of being enslaved. I can't imagine the hurt of being pulled from your home, taken hundreds of miles away to a new place where there's a new culture, where you're not at the top of the, uh, of the food chain, you're at the very bottom of the food chain all of a sudden, and life is dramatically shifted and transformed. I can't imagine the amount of ashes that were around people in this time. And Isaiah walks into that culture and says, listen, he wants to give you a crown of beauty and not ashes. There is an instead available to you. Instead of mourning, instead of the wounded parts of our life that feel dead, there's something else available to us. Because the truth is, all of us have parts of our life that feel like ashes, right? All of us have parts. And, and, and our, our community this year, just in the last year, I think, I think Christmas is a season where we get to like evaluate the last year a little bit and look back. And so I think these insteads are actually invitations for us for a new year. They're invitations for us to a new beginning. They're invitations for us to say, this is how I lived this year, but this is how I wanna live next year. And in our community this year, there's been tons of pain. There's been cancer. There's been suicide. There's been death, 
There's been divorce. There's been all kinds of things that we have walked through communally with each other that is painful, that is hurting, that is terrible. There may be a relationship that's been broken, a marriage that's been broken. There may be a part of your spirit that feels dead. It may feel like I've died to hope or I've died to joy or I've lost my, my, uh, my wonder in the world. And Jesus' arrival means you can get it back. It means there's another invitation. There's a separate choice available to you in these moments. We can choose how we live. And so we trade in our our, our ashes for a crown. We trade in the sackcloth, which is like wrapping yourself in a Walmart bag or something, right? We trade that in for an ornate crown that says my identity is not rolling around in the ashes, broken and hurting. My identity is a prince or a princess of the most holy God. I know the king and he sets me free and I am his child and so his inheritance is available to me. It's choosing a new way. It's saying I wanna put on something new. I'm gonna put on the crown of my identity and I'm gonna lay down my ashes. And so every single one of you in this room who feel like there's been things in your life in this last year that have died, Jesus says there's an instead available. I wanna make something alive today. There is good news that is declared to you right now that says whatever is dead in your life, I wanna make new, I wanna make alive. The second thing, these are so fun. The second thing is oil of joy instead of mourning. Oil of joy, it feels like a weird thing, right? Because we don't, we think of oil like oil in our car. Um, this is like an, an, an anointing oil. So think about this culture. This is a smelly culture. Can we just be honest about it? Okay. It's an agrarian culture. Um, they didn't have as good a soaps as we have, right? They did not have Old Spice, fellas. Um, I don't know if any of you have junior high boys or high school boys in your life. <laughs> If you have, you'll appreciate this maybe more than others. Um, But there is, in this culture, what would happen is one of the ways oil was used was not just, not to run cars, that wasn't what the oil was used for, but it was used as like a smelling thing. And so when you would enter into somebody's home, you usually traveled along a road that was smelly or kind of gross. You're wearing sandals on this road. If any of you have been to like a third world country and like walked for any kind of distance, in in like 100 degree heat and experience this and then you walk in somewhere and you notice somebody's smelling, that might be me and you kind of do a little sniff of yourself, right? This is what's going on in this culture and so a good host, when people would enter into their house, would anoint his guests with oil. It's just a sign of hospitality. It was a sign of you're welcome here. It was a sign of generosity. It was a sign of like, I I love you and so I wanna honor you. I wanna respect you and here's how I'm gonna do this. Remember the woman that came at Jesus' feet and dumped the perfume all over him? That's what she's doing. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of, of I, I, I want to give you what I have because I love you. The second uh, type of anointing happened when someone would take office. So a priest or a prophet or a king would be anointed before they took office. So before they stepped into the thing that God was calling them to, There was an anointing that happened. And so the priests or the Levites, someone would come and would anoint them for the task that's in front of them. Um, The third way would be uh, for healing. If somebody was sick, 
they would be anointed. If somebody had a disease, they would be anointed, and there would be oil that would be put on them, believing that the oil would change them, that the oil would make things new, that the oil would bring about a, a, a change in their life. And in the New Testament, there's this beautiful picture of a new anointing, right? In the New Testament, the anointing comes through the Holy Spirit. Notice how many times in the New Testament it talks about the Spirit being poured out. This is why. The Spirit of the living God is poured out over all of us, and we are anointed by him. The oil of joy is given to us at Pentecost. The hope of heaven is given to us over and over and over again. There's a deep gladness. There's a sign of something new. There's a joy of receiving all of this. And so instead of mourning, there is this new anointing that is available to you. There's been seasons in my faith where I've just felt dry. Are you with me? I've just felt like, Lord, I, I don't feel like you're speaking. I need to hear from you. Or, or I'm trying to get in the word and I just can't get into it, right? Or I'm, I'm trying to pray and it feels like I'm praying on my own. I think part of that is the Father developing a passion for us to know him and to hear him and to long for him and to want him. It's like a little game of hide and seek sometimes, right? He's gonna hide for us and then we're gonna find him and we're gonna have great joy in the finding. This is saying there is an oil of joy. There's a new anointing on your life, on your ministry, on your job. All of those things are available to you over mourning if we receive it. It's an instead Instead of mourning, receive an anointing. How beautiful is that, guys? Good news, right? Number three, a garment of praise instead of despair. Um, a, a garment would be like not just your coat. It would be like the whole shebang. It's the whole outfit, right? It's the sweater, the shirt, the jeans. It's the whole deal, and it's the whole garment that you're wearing. And so what he's saying is, I wanna cover you with praise instead of despair, I want to cover your discouragement. I want to cover your disappointment. I want to cover your devastation, your frustration, all of those things. And I want to replace it with a heart of praise. I want to offer this up to you. Now, praise works like this. Praise works like a magnifying glass. Whatever I focus my heart and my mind's attention on, it gets bigger. Are you with me? So if I focus all of my attention on my problems, if I focus all of my attention on my brokenness, if I focus all of my attention on how bad everything is, then that thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Cole's learning to drive right now. And one of the things that we're learning is that when you look a certain way, the car drifts that way. Are you with me? All right, so when you're teaching a kid to drive, you're like, you gotta look at the road in the middle. Like, don't look at that mailbox because suddenly we're going closer to that mailbox all right, please God, save us, deliver us, all right? Uh, what we focus our attention to is often where we drift. And, and what, 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 what Isaiah is saying here is, is you can keep wrapping yourself in despair. Um, one of the other versions says a spirit of heaviness. Have you ever felt a spirit of heaviness? It's just like, there's something big that's come over me and I feel like I can't break it or I can't shake it and there's, there's hurt and I'm, I'm sad and I don't know why I'm sad. I'm depressed and I don't know why I'm depressed. I'm hurting and I don't know why I'm hurting, but it's just a spirit of heaviness that's on me. And Jesus says, I wanna replace, Isaiah says, I wanna replace that with a garment of praise. Sometimes we get so focused on our losses that we can't see our wins. Sometimes we get so focused on our defeats that we cannot see them. Psalms uses this phrase and it's funny because Chris used it this morning magnify the Lord. Magnifying the Lord is making him bigger. 
is looking at him and saying, yeah, we've got problems. We've got battles. We've got struggles. I feel a spirit of heaviness. I feel a spirit of hurt. I've got, I've got pain in my life. But when I look at you, when I praise you, when I see how big you are and how good you are and how available you are and how present you are and how much you have anointed me and given me and blessed me with, then suddenly all the problems that I'm looking at shrink and you get bigger. Spurgeon said, the closest we will ever get to heaven is when we worship. Because we're gonna spend the rest of eternity making him big. We might as well learn how to do it well here. We might as well enter into his presence with joy and with excitement and with passion and be ready for a new beginning. Because this is literally how we fight our battles. Right? When there are battles in our head or in our mind, when we wanna take captive our thoughts, the way that we do that is we engage in worship. We praise him, we honor him, we look at him, we magnify him, we say, Lord, the world is broken because Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. So it doesn't mean that our troubles go away. It doesn't mean that, that like I don't wanna belittle anybody's despair or heaviness or mourning or ashes or broken this morning because I've experienced all of those things and they're terrible and they're awful, but I do wanna declare that there is another way available to you. And it may hurt today, but tomorrow's coming. It may feel like the world is dark, but the sunrise is coming up and dawn is approaching. It may feel like everything's broken, but the great physician is on his way and he's going to show up and everything can change. And so today, here's the question. What are you carrying this year? Is it ashes of repentance or death Is it feeling like there's something that you've lost that you can't get back? Is it mourning? Is it a sense of, I'm not just hurting, I'm just sad, I'm just broken, I'm just grieving over this thing? Or is it a spirit of despair? Despair feels like the worst of all of them, right? Despair feels like I've lost my hope. And it says, when we've lost our hope, what do we do? We praise. We put on the garments of praise. I wrap myself in something new. I don't wrap myself in sackcloth and ashes every day. I wake up and I wrap myself in the presence of the Lord and I wrap myself in praise and I say something better is available to me today. Because Jesus is born, every single one of us gets insteads, guys. Because Jesus is born, every single one of us gets to choose a new adventure. (laughs) Because Jesus is born, Isaiah says, captivity is not your future. And it may hurt now. And that pain may be very real. But because Christ came, we know how the story ends, don't we? It doesn't set us free from the moment, but it sets us free from victory, right? Victory is come. And so we fight from a place of of victory. And moving forward, we know that the victory is ours, so we praise him and we thank him. It doesn't mean that there aren't wounds. It doesn't mean that there aren't scars. It doesn't mean that there's not hurt that we carry. Please hear me when I say this, guys. There there is ways that these passages are taught that are just like, hey, fix your mind and stop thinking that way. That's not what I'm saying. I don't wanna belittle your hurt or your pain or your brokenness. I know some of you have experienced amazing loss this year. But I do want to tell you that because Jesus was born, 
something fresh and new is available to us even in our pain, even in our brokenness, even in our worst moment, victory is available. And it's available because of Jesus. And I came, he says, to proclaim, to heal, to free, and to restore. So here's what I wanna do to wrap up today. You guys all got this sheet when you came in. And it's real simple. It just says, take away or leave behind. And, and I want you just to take a minute. There's, there's a bunch of pins in the, in the seats in front of you. If you don't have some pins, there's some in the back. Maybe someone can put one in your hand if you raise your hand up or you can share with some people around you. But I'd love for us to end today just asking the Lord, Lord, is there an instead that you're inviting me into? And so today, I, if there's something that you wanna take away into the new year, that you wanna say, this is what I wanna see happen in the new year. This is the hope I wanna see. This is the, the, the experience that I wanna experience. This is the, the posture that I wanna carry with me. This is the way that I wanna be healed. Then I want you to write down the takeaway that I wanna take away from me this year. And if there's something that you wanna leave behind, I wanna leave behind the ashes. I wanna leave behind the mourning. I wanna leave behind the despair. So, so maybe for some of you it's saying, I'm gonna leave behind fear. I'm gonna leave behind fear of other people. I'm gonna leave behind fear of my job. I'm gonna leave behind fear of whatever. And I'm gonna take with me the courage of the Lord. Maybe it's saying, I'm gonna leave behind bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'm gonna take with me forgiveness. I'm gonna leave behind the spirit that says, I'm not enough. And I'm gonna take with me a spirit that says, you are a son and daughter and there is a crown available to you. I'm gonna take away, or I'm gonna leave behind a spirit of addiction and I'm gonna take away freedom. I'm gonna leave behind bad news and I'm gonna receive good news. Whatever that is, I want you just to take a minute, I want you to pray. I want you to write down what's your takeaway and what's your leave behind and we're gonna sing. We're actually gonna engage in what we talked about. We're gonna praise him so that he becomes magnified. And then we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get with somebody. I'll, I'll come up and I'll give instructions. But I want you to share this with somebody else in the room. And as we walk out the room today, we're actually gonna rip this paper in half and we're actually gonna leave behind what we wrote on the leave behind page. There's tables on the back that we're just gonna drop those on the stations in the back at the door and say, I am leaving this here. I am figuratively setting this here and I'm taking something new with me. All right? So Father, I pray that you would move. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would work. I pray that you would call us to your insteads for our life this year. I pray in this moment that you would proclaim, heal, free, and restore among us. I pray that you would allow us to leave behind anything that is not of you and that we would be able to receive and take with us all the things that are you. And so, Lord, I pray that today, in this moment, you speak loudly and you speak clearly. I pray that in this moment, you are magnified, you are glorified, and you are honored because we realize that all our battles are won in you that you are our hope, that you are our redeemer, that you are the hope of salvation in every area of our life. And so, Lord, come and save us. Come and rescue us. Come and set us free. It's in your holy name we pray. Speak, Lord.